Hi, and welcome to Make Me a Medic. We are a group of high school students from the UK who are desperate to be doctors. Join us on our journey to medicine. In this week's episode, we're going to go into depth about the four pillars of medical ethics, and then we're going to apply them to last week's ethical question. If you're new, last week's question was, does euthanasia have a place in modern medicine? To answer this, we'll also be learning the key information regarding euthanasia. So let's start. What are the pillars of medical ethics? So the four pillars of medical ethics form the moral guidelines which all medical professionals must use. When it comes to answering interview questions, these four pillars are key concepts that you can use to demonstrate your understanding of how doctors work and your insight into medicine. The four pillars of medical ethics are autonomy, beneficence, non-maleficence and justice. But what do these mean and how can you use it in your medical school interview? Okay, so let's talk about autonomy. You all probably already know this, but autonomy is the idea of self-governance, that an individual has a right to make a decision and can act under a chosen plan, so they choose it. In medicine, this is specifically for um, patients that have the right to um, deny any treatment that is offered to them or can choose between various treatments. So... Medicine used to be paternalistic, but it's not anymore. So doctors cannot force patients to undergo a particular management option. And patients have the right to decline the treatment in themselves. Importantly, if a patient lacks capacity, which means that they have a disorder of the brain or mind, or they are just not capable of understanding, retaining and waking up and communicate their decision, their autonomy can actually be overruled by a doctor. For example, um, a patient with dementia, a doctor can overrule their decision to refuse the treatment as long as the doctor is acting in the patient's best interest, which is always a priority. So, an example of a medical ethics autonomy interview question would be this. An adult patient who is a Jehovah's Witness has refused a blood transfusion during a major bleed. What should the team do? So here you can discuss that the patient has autonomy for their own decisions so long as they have been shown to have the capacity. Uh, You would only really doubt them having capacity if they had a disorder of their brain or mind and could not understand, retain, weigh up or communicate their decision. So that's the decision the patient must be respected even if it isn't in their best interests. The next two pillars are beneficence and non-maleficence. The idea of beneficence is that doctors should maximise the benefits that medical care has on a patient. Meanwhile, the principle of non-maleficence is the partner to this. The idea of doing no harm, that is, trying to minimise the harm that medical intervention does to a patient. This means acting in the patient's best interests, which might not always be as clear as you would assume. Here's an example of how a medical ethics question could be. Sally is an 86-year-old lady with terminal breast cancer that has spread to her bone. Her daughter wants the primary tumour removed, but her son thinks it's best that she comes home without the operation. What should you do? You could talk about the facts uh, that doctors must act in the patient's best interest with beneficence. Here you want to assess whether the operation will do her any good. It will be important to assess her physical health, her fitness for surgery and to understand how the beneficial effect of surgery will have on her prognosis. 
Given that you don't want to cause more harm, not maleficence, and the likelihood that doing surgery is likely to be more damaging than good, it is likely that you would not recommend surgery. So the final pillar is justice, which refers to the idea that any ethical decision should uh, be considered as part, the, as part of the wider context in society. Note that the patient is, in most cases, the doctor's priority and the duty of a medic is to them. However, if a patient disclosure is likely to cause serious harm to other people, this is one time the doctors must break confidentiality. So now we all understand the pillars of medical ethics. Let's answer last week's ethical question. Does euthanasia have a place in modern medicine? Euthanasia is the term given to describe actions taken to deliberately end someone's life, often to relieve suffering. There are many different types of euthanasia, such as active euthanasia, passive euthanasia, voluntary euthanasia and involuntary euthanasia. Okay, let's go over what they mean. Active euthanasia refers to the deliberate act, usually the administration of lethal drugs, to end an incurable or terminally ill patient's life. Passive euthanasia refers to withholding or withdrawing treatment which is necessary for maintaining life, such as a ventilator or feeding tube. However, the NHS states that withdrawing life-sustaining care when in a patient's best interest can form part of good palliative care, and you shouldn't confuse between the two. Involuntary euthanasia occurs when euthanasia is performed on a person who would be able to give informed consent, but doesn't either because they can't make a decision or can't make the decision known. This is usually murder, but not in all cases. For example, if a soldier is in great pain from an explosion and the doctor knows that they will die in 10 minutes, whatever happens, if he has no pain-killing drugs with him, he would decide to spare the soldier for the pain and will shoot them dead. Voluntary euthanasia is a person wanting to die and say so. This includes cases of asking for help when dying, refusing burdensome medical treatment, asking for medical treatment to be stopped, or life support machines to be switched off, refusing to eat and simply wanting to die. Something else that you need to know is the difference between assisted suicide and assisted dying. The only difference is actually the person who performs a final act. In assisted suicide, the physician intentionally gives the patients the means to take the lethal medication themselves. For euthanasia, the physician is the one who commits the act and directly causes death, for example, by injecting the lethal drug. Assisted dying Mm -hmm. is not usually used in the context of bringing about the deaths of patients who are not already dying. For example, a paralyzed patient or those who have found out that they have developed a condition like Huntington's disease. It's important to understand the different types of euthanasia so that you don't confuse them with assisted dying. So in the UK, assisted suicide is legal under the terms of the 1961 Suicide Act and will get somebody 14 years imprisonment. Euthanasia here is regarded as murder, so imprisonment for life is the maximum penalty. While suicide itself is not illegal, however, 10% of suicides in England involve those who are chronically ill, which is, you know, a huge problem. And that's why there are often kind of counselling groups and groups that help 
um, chronically ill patients, terminally ill patients try to come to terms with their diagnosis. However, this is an area which there's still, like, it's still hugely lacking and there needs to be improvement in this area. Um, when somebody, for example, knows that they're going to die and they've been given a terminal diagnosis, most patients opt for hospice care, um, which is essentially, you know, palliative medicine where they don't attempt to cure you, but they attempt to let you die with dignity, peacefully, and essentially take care of you, providing kind of painkillers and just making you feel comfortable. Um, so people also do have the right to refuse any kind of treatment so long as they have the capacity to consent. consent. Um, so you you know you can refuse to be given treatment that would save your life or would prolong your life in any way. That is not illegal. The key difference, obviously, is if somebody's already terminal, then they are already going to die. Whereas somebody who maybe just doesn't have the best quality of life, at least in their own opinion, they can't make the decision to go on hospice, for example. And However, they can at any point refuse to be given some form of treatment which could be saving their life. Tony Nicholson is a man who campaigned tirelessly for the right to die following his paralysis due to a stroke. After being refused by the High Court to end his life, he refused food. He died of pneumonia surrounded by his family and friends, and he brought the case of euthanasia and the assisted dying to headlines. In 2015, MPs rejected plans for a right to die bill, where people with less than six months left to live would have been allowed a legal, legal dose of drugs to take themselves when they would be ready. 72% of MPs rejected the assisted dying bill, but campaign groups suggest that 82% of the British public support assisted dying. It's important to consider the legal aspects when thinking about how you view the topic of euthanasia. The proposed bill would have meant that a person had the right to die if approved by two doctors and a High Court judge. However, as of 2018, euthanasia is legal in the Netherlands, Colombia, Luxembourg, Belgium and Canada. In addition, assisted suicide is legal in Switzerland, Germany, South Korea, Japan and some states in the US. Although in February 2020, the highest court in Germany ruled that the law banning assisted suicide services was unconstitutional and lawmakers must now draw up new laws to reflect this. In Australia, a voluntary assisted dying scheme in the state of Western Australia was introduced. It joins the state of Victoria, which also allows voluntary assisted suicide. The scheme allows doctors to prescribe drugs for self-administration and administer them when the patient is unable. In New Zealand, the end-of-life choice bill was passed by Parliament in 2019, meaning it went to a public referendum in November 2020. As a prospective medical student, it may be worth considering the four principles of medical ethics when the drawing conclusions. Remember that in your interview, there is there's no right or wrong answer. Although euthanasia is illegal in the UK, a doctor can still support it. They just simply must not act upon it. So let's recap the four pillars of medical ethics. Autonomy is respect for the patient's right to self-determination. And it's really important when it comes to euthanasia as it is their life. Autonomy also refers to their capacity to think, to decide and also to act on one's own free initiative. However, in the case of assisted dying, 
Much consideration must be taken to the thought process of the doctor. Consent, confidentiality, access to records. Doctors have to recommend treatments, but they can't force a patient to follow their advice. From this perspective, the act of assisted dying should be allowed. So next up we have beneficence, the duty to do good. A doctor should do their utmost to care for their patient, within reason, um, and if a doctor was to only do good, they should do what is in the interest of the patient, but ultimately allowing them to die is not doing good. Uh, and then we have non-maleficence, the duty to not to do bad or not to harm. So the doctor should not intentionally harm their patient. Um, doctors can refuse to give treatment if it's in the patient's best interest. However, assisted suicide is deliberately harming a patient and thus a doctor helping a patient to die would not be acting ethically. Um, then we have justice, to treat all people equally and equitably. A doctor should not discriminate and the quality of care must be the same for all patients, irrespective of gender, race, sexuality, socioeconomic status and any other kind of dividing factor. Um, and this would also include like disability or chronic illness, so therefore... You can't discriminate whether somebody should live based on that, so it once again would be unethical. Let's look at some other arguments for euthanasia. One being that no matter how excellent our palliative care services may be, there will always be some patients for whom their illness causes intolerable suffering. To help those patients end their lives would be the compassionate thing to do to end their suffering. And because of autonomy, we should allow patients to decide for themselves when to end their lives at a point where medical treatment is no longer able to prolong life and is no longer providing adequate symptom control. In addition, evidence actually shows that the public increasingly supports assisted dying, which is quite interesting. Governments ought to represent the wishes of the people in a democracy. In March 2019, the Royal College of Physicians actually adopted a neutral stance on the topic of assisted dying, and this was following a poll of around 7,000 approximately of all of its members. A change in the law can also provide comfort to the dying from knowing that the option is there. Even if they choose not to do it, it's still there. As the current law, as it stands, it means that patients who want to end their lives have to travel abroad to end their lives. In 2018, 43 people from the UK die a dignitas in life circle who are two facilities in Switzerland, which seems to be the popular place to undertake this procedure. It's not how they would have chosen to die if the law allowed, which is usually at home around their loved ones. In addition, when assisted dying is illegal, there will be people who end their lives alone, who may not be able to carry out the ending of their life properly, leading to increased suffering. Legalising assisted dying will prevent these horrible deaths, similar to how legalising abortion prevented the deaths from Backstreet abortions. Despite many people still objecting to abortion on moral religious grounds, Another argument is that the moral mores of society are constantly changing and this legislation will reflect changing attitudes. There are no moral absolutes anymore. Even the prohibition of killing has exceptions. For example, during the war, it is permissible to kill. 
On the other hand, there are many arguments against euthanasia. For example, many argue that the legislation would turn, quote, uh, turn doctors into executioner, unquote. Um, so this is at odds with the principles of non-maleficence, as we discussed kind of earlier. However, this principle could also be used to argue for the other side, that doctors are causing more harm by prolonging suffering. Also, many are concerned that if the law on assisted dying is changed now, this paves the way for the law to change to apply to more people. For example, Belgium now has a law that, that legalises euthanasia for children, and that it could also be used to justify assisted dying in vulnerable groups, such as those with disabilities and mental illnesses. So the legislation set out, sends out a message that where life falls short of certain conditions, it is not worth preserving. To add on, although autonomy is a pillar of medical ethics, patients still do not have a right to demand treatment and doctors can refuse treatment they believe not to be in the best interest of the patient. The drugs prescribed to end life could be seen as a treatment like any other. The legislation also assumes that doctors are at all times benevolent. If the patient asks for help to die and helping the patient would be easier for the doctor, theoretically this could lead to an increase in deaths that otherwise would not have occurred. These decisions are irreversible. Yeah, and another significant concern is that this vulnerable people may actually feel pressure and they want to spare their carers the burden of looking after them or even worse, they might be bullied into choosing death. So there could never be sufficient safeguards to ensure that a patient is not being softly pressurised, either by their own families or even society's expectations. It could be argued that potential negative consequences of this legalisation, like the premature ending of lives, actually outweigh the small number of people that would benefit. We hope this episode helps you understand euthanasia more. Um, and if the subject of euthanasia is something that interests you, maybe read more into it. You could try writing a short, page-long essay on it. It could be good preparation for your BMAT exam, and it will help you to draw your own conclusions. Next week, we're going to be doing a history episode about ethics, looking back at how medical ethics evolved. So with that in mind, our question for this week is, who invented medical ethics? We'll discuss the answer next week, so stay tuned. A quick shout-out to everyone who answered last week's question, Freddie, Max, Jean, Lee, Maria and Caleb. Um, and the best answer goes to Caleb. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Make Me a Medic Podcast and share us with other expiring medics. Join us next week for another exciting episode.